Now, as I've already mentioned, our theme for this month is story. And this is a busy month. We could tell stories about Election Day. We could tell stories about Veterans Day, about Thanksgiving, and more. There are a whole lot of directions to go with the theme of story. But for some reason, as I contemplated today's message, my thoughts kept returning to Meredith Wilson's Music Man, a musical that was made into a Warner Brothers movie in 1961. And in this story, Professor Hill, a traveling salesman played by Robert Preston, gets off the train in a little town of River City, Iowa, and he's hoping to sell the idea of starting a boys' marching band, even though he can't read music, he can't play a note. Well, when Professor Hill sees people peering into the billiards hall to take a peek at the new pool table that has arrived, because apparently billiards is more of a gentleman's game and pool is something totally different. So when he sees that, he comes up with a plausible storyline to, to sell his marching band scam. And here's part of his pitch. Well, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you're not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. You got trouble, my friend, right here. I say you got trouble right here in River City. Youth will be frittering away, frittering away. Their noontime, suppertime, chore time, too. Get the ball in the pocket, never mind getting dandelions pulled on the screen or the screen door patch or the beef steak pounded. Never mind pumping any water till your parents are caught with a cistern empty on a Saturday night, and that's trouble. Yes, trouble. Right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for bull. All right. As the plot thickens. We meet some of the Iowans of River City as Professor Hill tries to butter them up. Professor Hill has eyes for Marion, the librarian, played by Shirley Jones. But when Marion's name comes up, the ladies of the town begin to pass along gossip, the negative stories that are going around town about Marion. And those stories sound something like what you're going to hear next. We did our best. Oh, I keep doing that. Our lives are made of stories. Author Thomas King writes, the truth about stories is that that is all we are. Each of us is a walking library of stories, whether or not we are conscious of it. The stories we carry with us help us understand ourselves and the world. Most of our stories arise from our early childhood years, our family systems, and our life experiences. We also have shared stories, all kinds of them. Stories about how things began, how they work, stories about hardship and struggle, meaning and purpose. We have stories about values we cherish and characteristics we despise, stories of loss and stories of redemption. We have stories that we tell and retell about ourselves and each other. We tell them to ourselves, to our families, to people within the various groups 
that are part of our lives. Even congregations have stories. The stories we tell can keep us stuck in limited or negative beliefs, or we can tell stories that will set us free and help us discover previously unimagined potential. So even though President Duck imagined different futures for herself and decided to return that what she had wasn't so bad after all, we see that Duck was able to imagine a new story for herself. The script she was given was take out the trash, mow the lawn, grind the coffee beans. And Duck decided to break out of that storyline for a while. Stories mold us. There is a Hopi proverb that says, those who tell the story rule the world. So it's important that we remember the admonition of our spiritual ancestors. And that admonition is, revelation is not sealed. In other words, no one person has the one and only true story. Our stories are not predetermined. One of the most important messages of our faith is this. We have a choice. We don't have to accept without question the stories that are handed down to us. It's true that we sometimes need to break through layers of conditioning in order to risk questioning, in order to make new choices, But most of us would not be sitting here this morning had we not done at least some of that. It's important to figure out where a story originated and who is telling it before deciding whether to claim it as your own. It's important to realize that we can, to a large degree, be the author of our own stories, not just actors in someone else's play. Still, it is easy to be complacent It's easy to cease exploring. It's easy to think or act like we have all the answers already, even as we say we celebrate diversity and we say that we support the search for truth and meaning. Novelist Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie would try to startle us out of our complacency by reminding us of the danger of being caught up in a single story. Adichie says that we risk grave and critical misunderstandings if we hear or adopt a single story about ourselves, about another person, another political party, another religion, another country or culture. We need to hear and pay attention to multiple stories to get a broader understanding of truth, the truth of who we are and can be, and the truth of who others are. So let's go back to River City and Professor Hill. While that example is a caricature to be sure, it succeeds as a story exactly because it touches some truth in the stories of our own lives. Who hasn't been curious and perhaps unsuspectingly, if not overtly, spread rumors about someone else, just as the town ladies did when they picked a little and talked a little about Marion the librarian. Who hasn't been swayed by a fear-mongering narrative like Professor Hill's prediction of trouble with a capital T? My goodness, those two questions could describe our whole election process this season. Rumors and 
fear-mongering stories. We've all been tempted to buy into what narrative therapists call a problem-saturated story, a story that's focused on fear, naysaying, and the suggestion that some problem or problems determine our fate. Reverend Gail Haley, in her sermon, The Danger of a Single Story, reminds us that problem-saturated stories are often self-fulfilling. Believing the problem story, you act out of its truth. Then others respond to you in kind, which in turn provides evidence that you were right all along. So you double down and you repeat the cycle. You perpetuate the story. Here are some examples of problem-centered stories we might see in churches. Oh, we'll never have enough money to do that. Oh, we mustn't rock the boat and upset so-and-so because that person's the biggest giver. And if they leave, what will we do? We, we won't survive. Or how about, I better not say that. I better not say what I think because we can't have any conflict. That might result in losing our minister or losing some members. And we don't want to go through that. So no, I won't. I'll just be quiet. The more people interact with a problem-saturated story, the harder it is to escape its grip, especially in times of uncertainty and high anxiety, like election season, for example. We are especially prone to lean on our tendencies towards seeing things through the lens of a single story when we are hammered by political ads with candidates telling their versions of the way things are. Fear is a powerful fuel to get us to buy into the simplified and sometimes single-story sound bites we hear during political campaign seasons. So what happens when our anxiety is raised by scary narratives about the future? We look for support. We participate in the stories about how awful things are, are or will be how impossible the situation is. And even if we don't say it, we might think, well, you think that's bad. I could tell you something even worse. So we can get stuck in problem-saturated stories in our personal lives, in our social and political groups, even in our churches. Now, I am not well acquainted with all the details of the history and the stories of this congregation but I wonder what you might see as some of the problem-saturated stories we might need to be aware of so that we don't get stuck in them. Think about that for a minute. Now, while Professor Hill is the one who started the problem-saturated story about trouble in River City, he perhaps inadvertently created another more powerful narrative by getting the town and its people to see one another in new ways. The youthful town troublemaker became the leader of the band. The town began to see him as a leader. The school board members who had constantly been bickering and fighting began to find so much harmony they sang together in a barbershop quartet. The parents saw musical talent in their children that they had never imagined or nurtured. 
The town ladies who might not ever before have thought of themselves as graceful began to dance. And Professor Hill himself discovered he no longer had to be a scam artist. He fell in love and presumably stopped traveling. He saw the results of the positive tales he had spun about people's abilities, began to believe in himself. The positive stories he told at first with selfish motivations began to yield more and more positive results. So I wonder, what are the positive stories you tell or the ones you might want to tell to call us into fulfilling our potential? I'm sure that we don't all have exactly the same stories to tell about this congregation. It's easy to think that everyone here has the same understanding and the same experience of this church as each of us does. But that is simply not so. How long we've been here, who our friends are in this congregation, and all kinds of factors influence the stories that we might tell as individuals. And stories will continue to change because new people come and because we get to know other people in the congregation and hear their stories. So stories are not stagnant. Our individual stories will be quite different in five or ten years when the makeup of this congregation is not exactly the same as it is now. So that's kind of fun to think about. I almost wish we had a crystal ball. But we don't. We don't have a crystal ball. So our best chance to influence the future of this congregation is to tell stories that are saturated with possibility. To dream big. To let go of negative narratives and embrace positive ones. Remember, we are the storytellers here. We have the power and if we bring our many individual stories, if we listen well to one another and open our hearts to multiple understandings of why this church is so very important to each of us, then we will let go a little bit of our individual stories or we'll modify them in the service of a greater story, a greater calling. So what is that greater story? I return to uh, Reverend Gretchen Haley's blog she, where she warns about the dangers of adopting a single story. She says that as Unitarian Universalists, our greater story is a story that refuses to perpetuate the problem-saturated stories and, in and instead feeds the larger story of hope, the story of people who are kind to one another, who assume the best in each other, who listen and love each other across differences, who make room for the variety of stories present in the human family, and welcome all who welcome all. The greater story is a story of people who are open and willing and curious, the story of refusing to imagine someone else as an enemy, it's the story of people who laugh and risk showing up for each other, even when it's hard. It's the story of people who want to make a real 
difference in the world. It's the story of people who listen and learn together, who speak the truth in love, who sometimes mess up, but forgive each other and let things be okay. That greater calling, the greater story, will be embodied in our vision and mission, which we will enliven this month with our love and faith and energy. So come to one of the small group gatherings you've heard about this morning. The sign-up sheets are just to your right as you leave this room. Let us hear a piece of your story so that you can contribute to the greater story, the greater calling of this congregation. I'd like to switch gears for a moment and think about the stories we may be telling on November 9th, the day after the election. I've adapted some words from the Reverend Gary Kowalski for this purpose. Whatever the outcome of Tuesday's election, I think we'll all be glad when it's over. Some of us will be thrilled by the results. Others will be depressed about it. And some just won't care one way or the other. But no matter which candidates win or lose, there still will be brokenness in our world. There will be suffering because government alone is powerless to cure all the ills of society. So no matter what happens on Tuesday, we will still experience some chaos, some grief and loss. We will still face the challenge of finding meaning and a faith that can sustain us through tough times. Sometimes politicians tell grandiose stories and make big promises, but no new administration can deliver friendship, peace of mind, personal integrity, or a sense of self-worth. And I want to tell you, I know that politicians work hard, and we have some great politicians, so I'm not just trying to dis politicians here, but I think we've all heard the big promises and some of the more grandiose stories. Finding the qualities that make life worth living, building them into our daily lives and passing them along to our children will continue to be our personal responsibility regardless of who controls town hall, congress, or the White House. So voting is important but there are lots of other ways we can empower our own lives and influence the world for the better. So hope for the future depends in large part upon the stories that we tell, the stories that we embrace, the stories that we endeavor to live. Now, if you think stories can't change things, Consider the words of some of our protest songs and the words of the song we are about to sing. The tune for number 169 is named after Martin Luther King Jr. And the words come from an old African-American spiritual. During the <coughs> civil rights movement, the original words, I shall overcome, were changed to we shall overcome as a show of unity and as a means to include everyone who has been oppressed, everyone who experiences challenges in life or is aware of challenges in the world. So this is not a problem-saturated narrative. Rather, it is a song of hope. So please 
rise in body or spirit and join in singing number 169. 